automotive marketing through performance, advertising, community outreach, and technology. Be captivated by the people who are leading the wave of change in the online marketplace. This is who AdTech is. AdTech Connect, your weekly radio show. Get behind the scenes with industry giants. Be privy to the insider track. Witness the newest technologies. Make sure you're in the scene each week with AdTech Connect. You're connected now with your host. Good morning, everyone. This is Susan Bratton, the Ad Tech Chair and host of Ad Tech Connect. Thanks for joining us today. We have two great talents this morning. John Epstein of the United Talent Agency and Dave Balter from Buzz Agent. And we're going to be learning a lot about the interactive gaming world as well as buzz marketing. So let's get John on the phone. John, are you with me this morning? I sure am. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Great. I'm so happy to have you on the line today. I I think you and I have known each other for 10 or more years, and I never imagined we'd be doing a radio show together, but I'm glad we are because you have some fascinating things to tell our audience. You are too kind. (laughs) Um, I guess what I'd like to do is, before we get to what you're doing at United Talent Agency and, and how your career has metamorphosed into this interesting new category, I'd love to just get a little background on you. And I want to go back before you were in the gaming world, because you started out as a big publishing maven, I think. So why don't you just give us one of those quick stories about your career history? Sure, uh, happy to. I actually started out as an, as an editorial assistant. I started on the editorial side of the business working um, originally for Ziff Davis doing product reviews of, uh, of digital equipment, computer, deck products, uh, for those of you that remember. So <laughs> you were a deck expert, uh, huh? Yeah, I was, I was a deck expert and uh, worked for originally Ziff Davis and then um, helped launch uh, IDG's competitive publication a digital news into the marketplace, kind of as a high-level gopher, you know, stopped writing, um, got put out in the ad sales field, and um, worked, you know, essentially up the ranks at IDG, became publisher of a magazine called originally MPC World for Multimedia PC, and we changed that to Multimedia World. I think that's where we tuned in. Yep, that's uh, where we met. You were in the video, uh, the digital video marketplace at that uh, time at AV Video. And, right, we were um, both in ad sales, essentially. <laughs> absolutely. And yeah, selling uh, and into then, that you know, early world, the world of the multimedia. CD, CD-ROMs and multimedia world gave me you know, all the exposure I, I needed to want to jump into the field of new media. So I originally did that at IDG and helped them um, launch their CD-ROM products and, and oversaw the group, which brought them onto the... Uh, Went to the internet um, from AOL, and then we left and started uh, a site called GameSpot because we saw that this internet thing was happening, and that particularly in the market for games uh, and information about games, that the the lead times of the print magazines weren't cutting it for gamers or really for game advertisers um, for any number of reasons. So we uh, set out pretty early in the internet cycle. Did GameSpot sold GameSpot. Um, I ran uh, international business for uh, ZDNet and then CNET. No, wait a minute. Let's go back to GameSpot for a minute. Go, sure. go back to GameSpot. Tell, tell, tell us what GameSpot was and why did you pick gaming? I mean, you could have spun off, out of the multimedia world, you could have spun off into 27 different categories. Were you, were you a big early gamer? Was that something that uh, you was know, a passion I, I, for I, you? I, I was. Or did uh, you just I spent all the hours in uh, arcades during college. I, I, you know, I, I'm a gamer. I can't say I'm a, a huge hardcore gamer in the sense of you know, spending your 30 or 40 hours. Well, you have um, a family, g- right? G- games, you know, Multimedia World Magazine was all about, you know, things being done on CD-ROM and on the creative side of, 
of multimedia. We tended to veer more towards the consumer side than the professional side. And when you looked and, and sort of asked the question, who's doing the most exciting work on CD-ROM? Who is propelling, um, you know, the, the technology forward and sort of stretching the capabilities of, of um, you know, computer-based entertainment it really, and, 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 and software? It really was the games company. So one level, it was just a very exciting market to work within. It's a market where the people are fun. They're in the business of fun. And it was also a market, you know, growing tremendously rapidly, yep. as it is still, uh, fastest growing media that's out there. Um, and so that there was good business there. There were also informational reasons why games was a great place to go into. Game, gaming is a market characterized by, by relatively short product cycles, mm-hmm. where if you're not sort of moving off the shelves aggressively within the first week or two, you know, um, the retailers take notice and they start to do things. And they, like, you know, they like ratchet back business. your orders or they change your prices. And print magazines had lead time, editorial lead times of two or three months in those days. It's a little better now, but still a challenge. And that didn't cut it for the gamers, right? They, they couldn't read about the products they were expected to buy. And it didn't really cut it for the game companies either who, you know, needed ways to communicate in real time, got to move product off the shelf um, to their customers. That and the fact that game ship dates slipped a lot, still do, not as much, um, made the long ad close times of print magazines sort of risky from a financial standpoint. So for all those reasons, there were good audience and good advertiser reasons to to focus on games. And, you know, if you look in, in sort of, obviously news and finance are huge categories, but gaming sites are among the most used, you know, sites on, on the Internet. So the premise, the premise, you know, held true, still holds true, that, that the Internet is sort of the ideal media form for gaming information. And GameSpot is now owned by CNET, right? That's right. And did you, were you there when the product was sold to CNET? We, uh, GameSpot was sold sort of in parts originally to ZDNet. Um, okay, and then right. when ZDNet went public, it was sort of fully ZDNet. And then shortly after ZDNet went public, CNET, CNET acquired ZDNet, yep. and, uh, and and along with it, uh, GameSpot. And were you there for that whole? I, I was. I had moved into an international role um, at ZDNet prior to that acquisition. Mainly, um, sort of a desire to spread my wings. We did set up a number of game spots around the world. Some of which are still there. Good. Um, though the English language site is, you know, just dominant. They have huge resources behind it, and uh, so I was. There, but not directly managing it. Was, it's, it's managed by a guy named Vince Brody, who runs that whole entertainment group, including yeah, GameSpot. Vince is a speaker at AdTech. He's Excellent. a frequent, frequent speaker at AdTech, yep. Yep, great guy. And so GameSpot's really a, a website about games. And then you moved to GameSpy, and that was a little different, right? Yeah, GameSpy was also a, a, a web-based company, but it was also software and a middleware company. Game GameSpy, you know, had started originally as a site called Planet Quake um, because they loved Quake. You know, basically these were a bunch of guys that were Internet sort of website-building consultants, but they, they decided they liked playing Quake better and wanted to find yeah. a way to enable that pursuit. Who didn't um, love Quake? Who, yeah, Do you, you think know, that's one of the all-time best computer games? Pacifist. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> a violent game. It but, is a violent uh, game. So the, you know, they, they, started a, they started a site, and they really you know, built this model of, of community-based editorial. How can we... You know, gamers are passionate about games. That's, that's a part of what makes gaming such a, an interesting medium for advertisers. Yeah. Hugely passionate about it. 
And so there's many people that, that, particularly in those days, were very willing to sort of help contribute to community aggregations of information around a specific topic, in this case, Quake. So Gamespy started as Planet Quake and quickly added things like Planet Unreal and different, you know, quote-unquote planet franchises to, um, you know, reach out to different members of the gaming community. They then added a software product. These were multiplayer games. It's really what Gamespy was about, was online multiplayer gaming. And, but it was hard for people to find each other to play. You'd, you'd have to know someone's IP address, their number, and type it in. Yeah. To, and, and so the company released the first server browser for multiplayer gaming where you could say, hey, I want to play um, you know, Quake or, or a similar game. What servers are out there that I, can, that I can play on and how many people are on them and what map are they playing on? And it really revolutionized how and accelerated sort of the rise of, of online gaming by making it easy. GameSpot, you know, I, I came on board to help sort of turn it around, um, you know, get it back on track from, you know, the dark days of, of Internet advertising, really to build out their ad and media business. We put them in the editorial business. Um, but GameSpot was also the subscription leader. We had better subscription services than any of the major um, or larger two game sites, IGN and GameSpot at the time. Um, and we also had a middleware business because, a lot of what people wanted to do initially with these clients and match other players, the game companies wanted to put those functions directly um, into their games so that you didn't have to leave the game or run another piece of software that conflicted for you know memory uh, and CPU utilization. So we released a family of middleware products, and that was a good you know, sort of career expander in the sense that you know now we're selling different types of products with different value propositions to different people inside of the same companies we were selling advertising to, the game companies. Now, um, let, me, it, let, me, let me take you on a little tangent here. I want to come yep. back to your, you know, your, your move from GameSpy to United Talent Agency, and I want to really get it, spend some time. I'm going to leave a lot of time to talk about that whole thing. Yep. You're, you're now a talent agent. Fascinating. I mean, you've made a tremendously unique career transition. But before we do that, one of the things that intrigues me, uh, and, and you're actually helping us with this at the San Francisco Ad Tech, you're, you're, you really understand completely and intimately the ecosystem of the gaming world. And so at Ad Tech San Francisco next April, you're going to get up and do a session that walks everyone through this whole thing. Here are all the different types of games, and this is the way that marketers can engage. But could you do a really short version of that? I know it's going to take an hour at San Francisco sure, to do it. Can sure. you do a, the one-minute version of that or the 30, you know, the one-minute 30 <laughs> version of that for the audience today? Like, we talked about massively multi multiplayer gaming. That's one category. Like, it's a massive market. Tell us what the other things are in that market. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, look, the Here's, here's the, the core pretext. Number one is that the, the time shift of, you know, and the, all, all of us that, that sell Internet, you know, have been following this for a while. People spend their time doing other things than what they used to do, you know, five years ago, media-wise. Mm -hmm. And part of that's the Internet. And a huge amount of that is the time people are spending on games. And, and by people, I mean all people, not just males 18 to 34. Right. Women by, love those parlor games. Absolutely. And by games, I mean not just the kind of games you buy in boxes and play on your Xbox or PlayStation systems or, you know, your PC, but a lot of, you know, web downloadable um, types of games are consuming huge amounts of time um, from U.S. users. And the games market, you know, from a package standpoint, is growing at a huge rate, fastest, you know, sort of annual growth rate 
projected by Price Waterhouse um, of any medium at growing around 22 um, percent a year. So there's a huge population, you know, playing games online in North America alone. We're looking at 300. Um, I'm sorry, worldwide, looking at about 360. You know, million online gamers. You know, that many people playing games online every month in in sort of 2009, and that drives a huge amount of time, billions, of billions of hours of play, and so advertisers need to find ways, or they'd be well served to find ways, to sort of properly reach and connect to the passion that's driving this amount of time usage. And there's a lot of different ways in which they can do so. There's a tremendous amount of focus, of course, on in-game advertising, because 70, you know, that's, that's the most sort of obvious way to reach these billions of hours of gameplay is have ads directly inside the games. And there's a lot of different forms of that. There's video ads, there's 2D ads, there's really deep integrations. We're working on some right now. Um, there are 3D objects. You know, you can have a, your brand, um, your, your soda as a, as a fuel, as a pickup, you know, to help your characters survive. Um, but it goes beyond that. It's not just in-game. You can advertise sort of around games. As games are being downloaded, you can, you can use games as promotional items. There's a lot of games that can be available as sort of digital premiums, you know, as, as an alternative to a coupon that can be offered at very, you know, you're purchased really very low sort of bulk rates um, but represent great, you know, value adds for people that take you up on your other, um, other offers. There's a whole world of competitive gaming, you know, out there that that can be um, harnessed. Some of that's online, some of that's offline, and and you know, there's there's gaming in cinemas, there's roadshows, there's maltos. What what we're tr- we're trying to do in San Francisco is really, you know, with a little more detail, surface the range of these opportunities. And there's sort of seven or eight different buckets that you could put them in, and then actually give people hands-on. Um, you know, a hands-on look by, by inviting the marketers and people to put together specific campaigns, you know, uh, allow people to look at how these techniques were applied to an actual marketing case and the results that, you know, ensued visually. You, you know, you got the, the, the interesting challenge with, with game advertising courses, you know, like it was with Internet is, you know, if you can't see it, it's kind of hard to, to conceive of. It's hard to put on a PowerPoint slide. So we wanted to get people on the floor and, and showing stuff directly. So we're going to have a showcase area. After you do your overview, your world view of all of the, going through all these seven to eight buckets, then people were going to go in, are going to go into a different room and there are going to be all these... Are, are we going to have Xboxes set up and... Uh, I imagine so. And, you know, and laptops and, and, with and, games and, running. And hopefully a few cell phone guys, you know, showing um, mobile games and, and advertising through mobile games and um, maybe even some set-top box and interactive TV. I mean, this is a huge world, right? It's not... Mm-hmm. I think we will see lots of great examples of both dynamic and big product placement, um, you know, advertising campaigns that run inside of, you know, packaged console games. But we're going to bring advert games in. We're going to bring you know, tournament vendors as well, just so, you know, is tournament vendors like the X-Fire? of the opportunity. Is tournament vendor like X-Fire? Uh, X-Fire, well, yeah, X-Fire is, you know, they, they do tournaments. They also can be viewed as sort of a, as an instant messenger product that helps connect people into games. And they have a way of, of, of putting up messages inside of a game um, while you're playing through their, their sort of cross-game chat functionality. So that's a company that has sort of taps into a number of different, um, forms X Fire will be there. I imagine we'll see folks like Double Fusion 
Okay. Um, and and Kuma and you know there's 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 many global gaming league you know the the people that run these big sort of on-site competitions that you know are starting to get televised. So in a word, hundred thousand people, and I know Korea is different, but a hundred thousand people converge on the the World Cyber Gaming Championships once a year. That's a pretty big event. When is know? that? Uh, that generally in the fall. I'm not okay. sure. Uh, it's already happened this year. I'm not sure of the 06 days. One of the things that's interesting, it's this, it's muddy. You know, at AdTech San Francisco, we want to have this showcase of all these gaming options. At the same time, we're doing one on mobile marketing, and we're doing one on Television 2.0. And it's mm. funny because when you talk about what we're going to show in the gaming showcase, you're also talking about games on mobile platforms, games and interactive television. And I'm thinking to myself, God, how am I going to separate this stuff out? Should I just have one big room, one big-ass room, and put 400 people in it? You know, it's like it's all munging together, which I think is good and bad. It's confusing, and it's hard to organize. But I think the opportunity for marketers is, okay, if I want to do an ITV play, I should think, Maybe I do a gaming ITV play. I mean, yeah. th- that's what I think is hard to sort out, yet I also think that's where the opportunity is. Because I, think, I mean, what we're seeing is that gaming is an application, of course, sort of TV t- 2.0 and mobile can be viewed as, as platforms. Platforms. So there, mm-hmm. we're going to see that overlap. And, you know, we may both be inviting the same people where we can just decide to put them here or there and guide people. I mean, I'm not sure if it's in one room or three rooms. Right. Um, we're going to have to figure all that out. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, people will, of course, visit all the rooms because, you know, and this sort of goes to the the agency thing. These are hugely important times, you know, in the changing face of media. You know, the the entertainment industry is sort of deconstructing in a in a fascinating way, and you know, marketers must stay on top of this. There's huge new opportunities and there's huge new challenges, and unless you're out there in front of the new TV stuff and mobile, and games, you know, it'll be challenging over the next 10 years. Which brings us to the fact that you're now an agent. <laughs> an agent. You're an agent, and not even a, it's not even a secret. <laughs> so tell us how you ended up at United Talent Agency. I, did you have the idea of this? Did you go pitch them I, and I say, did, I didn't you at need all. An, a gaming agent? I had no agent? idea. In fact, I didn't even really know what, what talent agencies did, because I didn't think about it a lot. You know, it was very much in games and tech. And, yeah. And because and, and it's, it's pretty transparent if you're not in the, you know, entertainment industry itself, right? Yes. As to what agents do. Well, why don't you tell the audience what agents uh, do so that everyone is sure? Because, <laughs> you know, we're kind of busy and we might not know either. All. UTA is one of the, the top um, top agencies in Hollywood. And, you know, the company was built. It's a, it's a newer agency, meaning, you know, 15, 20 years, not, not 100, um, that was, you know, built from two others, and, you know, to represent um, actors and writers and directors and, and the traditional talent and musicians of, and producers of, of, of movies and TV. Right. You, I mean, you have Harrison Ford, Johnny Harrison Depp, Ford, Jim Carrey. Harrison Ford and Depp and, and Jim Carrey and M. Night Shyamalan and, you know, Charlie Coffin. I mean, just across the board, mm-hmm. um, you know, music, musicians as well. Um, we represent some of the top names in entertainment. And, you know, the traditional business of talent agency is to help them, um, you know, build their careers um, in, in conjunction with, you know, the other people that, that help talent and to get them the best possible roles and, you know, fairly remunerated for their work in those roles. Mm-hmm. And um, UTA stepped into the sort of interactive world some years before, 
um, because they were getting the calls, you know, uh, particularly based around movie games. Um, we're doing a game based on, you know, Lemony Snicket that started well before that. You know, we'd like it to be real. Therefore, we'd like Jim Carrey to, you know, come in and voice and allow uh, the use of his image for the Count Olaf character. Yeah. And and so we needed someone to negotiate this deal. So Brent Weinstein, who's my, you know, um, sort of key partner in this endeavor, um, stepped from the talent world and, and, and literary world of, of writers and directors and and moved in to serve that business. I, I was brought in with a sort of different different angle. Um, I don't represent a lot of talent directly, though I do meet with talent who's very interested right now in, in what are the possibilities of the new media. Um, my goal well, who, who are you meeting with? Come on, John. Give us the good I, stuff. I think uh, they teach us at the talent agency. We should be very uh, careful with that information. But some of the bigger names in our portfolio, and, you know, and, and again, it went from sort of very significantly over the last year from, or, or two years from, you know, this is just something that they're doing to really to maintain the fidelity of their characters. You know, not, it's not about, it hadn't been about the money per se, because relative to television and film, the financial opportunities in games had not been um, significant. But now, um, you, know, you know, top actresses, directors, they're really wondering, what does this mean for my career? What, uh, what is the potential? And by the way, the money's getting, you know, more real relative to, you know, movies and, and TV as well. So, um, but I also work with a whole series of, of corporate clients because, you know, besides serving the individuals that, you know, are some of the most creative people in America, there's a whole other group of companies that, you know, as we get into these digital media worlds, are very much part of the ecosystems of creating new products and, and funding new products. So my clients tend to be companies that are doing leading-edge things in, um, in sort of the intersection of games, traditional entertainment, mobile, which is very much an area of focus, and advertising. Because just like with television and, and in film also, you know, advertising is a significant part of the driver or the, the enabler of a number of these new media forms, you know, whether it's additional revenue or, in fact, the full model. So, so who are some of the companies that you represent? Yeah, and I'll, I'll sort of focus on, on some that are maybe more ad-related as opposed to, you know, purely games, because I certainly do represent, you know, development deals and we sell technologies and whatnot. Um, so a couple that I'm involved with, um, Double Fusion certainly comes to mind. Double Fusion is one of the leaders in the field of in-game advertising. They have technologies that serve ads inside of games, um, sort of the most, most capable in that area and being able to support 3D objects and audio and video and really enable a whole you know, roster of possibilities for marketers to get their messages across either on fixed or you know, dynamic ways inside of games. Um, Kuma, a Reality Games is a... How do you spell Kuma? Kuma, K-U-M-A. All right, like it sounds. I'd never heard of them. Yeah, yeah, bear in Japanese. So Kuma makes... Kuma was created sort of anticipating the fact, you know, that, that games really have been built along a movie model, not a TV model, big productions, long, long cycles, you know, two-and-a-half-year, two-year projects. Kuma can put out an hour of console-quality gameplay once a week, and they've been doing so with their own products, Kuma War. They're now working on a new one, uh, Dino Hunters, which is a time-traveled dinosaur shooting game, blow-away tyrannosauruses with large... Uh, weaponry and explosions, <laughs> um, and and there's a, but but 
you know, when you can do that, when you can produce a show a week with very little lead time, is the other thing, three or four weeks, um, they make an ideal partner for television series. What's their secret? TV has missed out on the gaming revolution because game companies, the big ones, they don't want to pay you for a license until they know your show is hot. And, and then it takes two years to make the game. So a lot of TV games have just never happened because it's, it doesn't fit the risk profile for the package game market. So along comes Kuman and says, look, here's a new way to do it, and this is an ad model. Here's something to take out with your upfront guys and sell a game that reaches your audience in between episodes of your TV show that's based on that same TV show and, in fact, is consistent with your script. So what's a good TV show you can give us as an example? Well, I mean, I, Even if that's and, not and I'm going to stress this is purely an example. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, you could do Law and Order and do the Law on, one, on the TV side and do the Order, you know, on the game side or, or one way or the other. You could, um, you know, you can, you can replay the front story. Or you can create the backstory. You know, Lost, for example, and, and, and again, these are all just examples. I need to stress that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a huge number of characters. There's huge things that happen behind the scenes. Well, let's play some of these out and through. So we're in the same world. We use the same characters. There's a lot of different creative ways that you can utilize this interactive medium, you know, in those weeks in between your episodes. For the creators, it's a way to just keep their keep their audience hooked in between the shows, whet their appetite. And for advertisers, presumably who are also supporting a TV show, um, it's a way to you know, sort of continue their message during the week also and harness the interactive capabilities of, um, of the game. And, of course, for, for TV you know, producers and networks, it's a way to be proactive and responsive to some of the shifts uh, in you know, what advertisers are looking for or thinking about and, and, and be able to offer it in an integrated fashion. I work with a company called TimePlay. TimePlay has a platform for interactive entertainment and advertising in movie theaters. Um, there I'm more focused on producing content um, for them for a children's, for children's market so that kids can play against 60 other kids for birthday parties or other applications inside of a movie theater um, but there's a whole advertising angle, too. If you, you know, the pre-show ads in front of movie theaters, it, that's a great business that's projected to grow, but there's some real challenges in the current formats. It's, you know, people don't really want to see TV ads in their movie theaters. So how do we make that experience more acceptable so that they start coming on a little ahead of time because people have started coming later to movie theaters, which in turn impacts concession sales, which is a huge issue. Interesting. So by creating an interactive platform where we, you know, you can respond to stuff on screen and it's fun and you can get coupons and you type in your email address, we're able to draw in the users more, the, the audience, get them back in their seats because it is fun and you can win stuff, um, but offer advertisers now a click stream from the movie seat, you know, an interactive ad form. So that's, that's a good example of a new business model. You know, um, I, I want to stop you here. We yeah. only have a, a minute or two left. Wow. And I know it goes fast, doesn't it? Yeah. What, one of the things that uh, you have is an abundance of opportunities and ideas and new concepts. I can tell that. I think you could do a, a full hour just on new, <laughs> new ideas in the gaming world. Um, and I'm glad you came on to tickle us a little bit with this. We'd like to have you back. Um, 
I wanted to just ask you a couple of questions about yourself. I mean, we've talked a lot about the world of gaming, and cl- clearly anyone who's listening knows you're a guy to call if you're thinking about that world at all. Uh, so that, that we figured out. Tell us about yourself. Now, you're married. You have some children. What's going on with that? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm married uh, to a wonderful uh, wife, Teresa, and I have two uh, kids, two girls. One is... Uh, uh, just turned ten. The other one's about to turn seven. They are uh, avid gamers and uh, and iPod users and, uh, and very much of the the media generation. It's all you know. It's always interesting as a parent to sort of have your own mini focus group as well as consider the issues of of of, of advertising around them. Um, we like to ski. Uh, kids are good skiers. They're you know they do gymnastics um, and you know we. We read a lot and watch TV uh, less than we used to, and uh, <laughs> I play a lot of games, but my wife, my wife doesn't. She likes the active ones. iToy is her favorite because the kids move around and jump and as part of those games. And, and iToy. Oh, we'll have to check I-toy. that out. For, for a physical game, let's get the active back in and interactive, we say. So. <laughs> I love it. And t- tell us, do you have – I always ask this question because it's amazing what people do. Are, are there any – Hobbies that you're into uh, that that we would be amazed to find out. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I have any anymore. I, I, in my day, I was a very accomplished bassoonist, so I'll just leave you. Uh, I'll leave you with that. that. Wow. Well, that gives us plenty to think about. A bassoonist. And um, what music are you listening to right now? You know, one of the things we like to do is uh, look at people who are like us and find out what they're enjoying. Are you stuck on any albums or bands these days that you would recommend to us? Wow. Yeah, do you have any time to listen to any music? I do. Well, I just, you know, I, a client of mine got me a video iPod, so I've been re-energized recently and sort of scanning lots of lots of albums. Um, I guess I've, you know, I've come back around to, to a lot of the Neville brothers um, most recently, and, you know, I mean, the, you know, I listen to 70s and 80s music that I, I grew up with. I'm not, I'm not exactly a, a, pro, a progressive rock. I listen to a lot of... Um, you know, world music. So I, I'm afraid I may, you know, disappoint. I have a huge collection of eclectic stuff, but but I don't, you know, I don't seize on any one album. And I listen to rap, and I listen to world music, and 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 the whole mix. And uh, last night I was listening to uh, Rhythm of the Saints by Paul Simon. So just again, just working through the collection. I think that's one of the interesting mm-hmm. things about iPod is you get a chance to revisit all your tastes of, you know, the last 20 or however long we've been buying CDs for since uh, right. the mid-80s. A long time, it yeah, turns 20 out. Yeah, I think, you know. And, yeah. uh, and it's a lot of fun going down memory lane, and, and, you know, it's just all over the map. Well, it's been a blast into the future and a blast into the past with you, John. Thank you great. for coming on today. Have a great holiday, and we'll look forward to having you back and digging deeper into all these new ideas. Thank you, Susan. All right, see you soon. We're going to take a break now, and we'll be right back with Dave Balter. He's going to talk about how you can create buzz. What happens when super hits hit the glass ceiling? They develop RevenueGateway.com. The ad network developed by super affiliates for the affiliate marketplace. Tap into the most powerful and intuitive system designed for ROI. Exclusive tier one advertisers, highest industry payouts, bonus rewards, and rock solid on time payments. Looking to be creative or need mentoring? There is always someone there for you. Live 24-7. RevenueGateway.com. The secret to your success. RevenueGateway.com. 
like the idea of getting with someone else's money? How about cashing in with the house? Sign up today with PartyPoker.com, the world's largest poker room and poker affiliate program. Cash in on one of the most lucrative and fastest growing industries for webmasters. There's $10 million paid out to webmasters every month. The world is your oyster and every hand is a winner. Wouldn't you like a slice of that pie? PartyPoker.com. Betting on the house makes you a winner every time. Contact Alex L. at PartyGaming.com for a great deal. PartyPoker.com. How do you choose the right affiliate program to partner with? All we're trying to do is make the most money in the least amount of time. The answer is simple. JoeBucks.com, the world's leading herbal affiliate program. JoeBucks.com is the direct manufacturer, so there's no middleman. This will allow you to make up to 50%, the highest payouts on the net, and also get paid twice a month. Sign up today and watch your income grow. For the last decade, they're seeking top ranking. Have visited their site comes to the internet marketing expertise one name clearly stands above the rest bruce clay incorporated with a flexible time tested and spam free process to seo and ppc bruce clay has become the number one choice for companies of all kinds seeking to improve their search engine ranking utilize this tools training consulting and services let bruce clay create a tailored solution to meet your internet marketing needs today bruce clay incorporated you're connected now with your host Welcome back, everyone. This is Susan Bratton. I'm the AdTech Chair and the host of AdTech Connect. You're here for the second half of AdTech Connect, and we have Dave Balter, the founder and president of BuzzAgent, a word-of-mouth marketing and measurement agency located out in Boston, Mass. Dave, are you on the line? Oh, hey, Susan. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. So not only are you the founder and president of BuzzAgent, but now you're an author, too. You just keep racking things up. (laughs) I'm just adding to the resume. (laughs) <laughs> Good for we all. I know job security is important for you as a founder of multiple companies. <laughs> yes. Now, you have a new book out called Grapevine, The New Art of Word-of-Mouth Marketing. You just released it this month, right? Uh, it came out uh, at the end of November, so, so close to this month. We're about a month, month in. So I, ha- I, I have to say, I didn't get a copy yet, and I will. I'm going to go to Amazon.com after this call and buy my copy. But, wow. of course, I want you to autograph it when I see you out in AdTech San Francisco. Oh, I definitely will, and I'll, I'll be sure. I'll tell the publisher we know where the sales are coming from now. Uh, that sounds. I, you got some good reviews and you got some bad reviews. How are you holding up on that? Oh, that's good. We ex- I expected this. Uh, you know, sort of like Buzz Agent. In some ways, we we get some good, we get some bad, and it all sort of mixes into the the big questions and controversies and um, sort of learnings about word of mouth in general. So we're we're I'm fine with that. I love well, it. You, you've been plowing a new category. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you found Buzz Agent? Uh, Buzz Agent was founded in actually in December of 2001 as a concept, and then it took us about four months to to get the first version of it live. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know that was just building out the the base of the model and 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 getting it ready. Well, let's let our listeners know. You know, I've been lucky enough to do a Buzz Agent program with you, yeah. and I I understand most, if not all, of the machinations of putting together something like this. But why don't you tell our listeners? How Buzz Agent works? What is it's, you know? Is it an agency? Is it a technology company? Is it a chocolate frosting? Give us the story. <laughs> I wish it was chocolate frosting. So do I, because I love <laughs> chocolate frosting. That, that would be good. I, <laughs> but I love Buzz Agent too. So, <laughs> um, well, certainly you were one of the uh, the early adopters of this. Uh, you were probably, I, I suppose, probably in the top first ten of our clients. Yay! Um, I like I that. 
and now uh, now we have about 125 clients. So you, you definitely were, were well ahead of the curve, which is quite exciting. It was great. Um, so the way the system works, we are um, you know currently a, a service offering and a, and a technology platform, and, and um, I'll walk through what that means. Um, we are moving more towards a media model um, uh, where companies are able to access word of mouth through our network. Um, but the, the core sort of system is we have a, a network of volunteer brand evangelists, about uh, 120,000 of them across the country today. A.K.A. Buzz Agents. Also known as Buzz Agents. Yeah. grow by about 1,000 to 2,000 every week organically. They, they show up and sign up. And based on their profiles, we offer them the capability to get involved in campaigns. Um, when they get involved in a campaign, they get to experience a product. They get a little bit of training from us. No scripts, no, no, you know, they're not forced to say anything. They can say good or bad things. It's very open and above board. Um, and then they go out and talk to people as we all normally do, right? Uh, you know, 15% of every conversation has something to do with a product or service. So this is... How do you know that? Uh, that comes from a study that was done by Northeastern University where they, um, they took a group of buzz agents and monitored their communication patterns and then a group of non-buzz agents and monitored their communication patterns. And what they found was um, 15% of the non-buzz agents, not even involved in any organized type of word-of-mouth program, all of us, um, have, you know, or 15% of our dialogues have something to do with a product or service. So a, a person who's not considering themselves a buzz agent or an influential or whatever you want to call yourself yep. still talks about stuff 15% I mean, I mean, of the time. I mean, think about it. Yeah, huh? it's, it's, it's sort of the, the core of our model, which is, wow. you know, you know we're, we're all talking every day. You know, even if I, you know, mention a restaurant you should go to or, um, you know, a chocolate frosting you should buy, whatever it is, um, it's, it's so much part of our social fabric to, to really talk about products and services. Um, all of us do it every day. Our mass consumer society. That's right. It's, a, it's <laughs> an right. artifact of our mass consumerism. Yes, our mass okay. materialism, yeah. All right. So, so you're harnessing that uh, natural behavior, which is smart. Right. So we're harnessing that. Now, the, the key to it is when people go out and create their, these natural dialogues, they, they go out, they say, I'm a buzz agent, I'm involved in this program, and um, I learned about this product, et cetera. Um, they have a dialogue with somebody else, um, and then they come back in and report to us what they've done. Um, you know, they say, I had, you know, at this time and location, I actually had this interaction with whoever it was. Um, and those reports are all reviewed internally here at Buzz Agent and then responded to with feedback and training and enthusiasm and support. And we really start to form a dialogue um, with these people about their, their actual communications. Pretty powerful stuff. Now, based on that dialogue, we actually are able to, A, create sort of an outbound marketing channel, meaning we're engaging these people to communicate with others and in sort of an organized fashion. And then, more importantly, we're able to collect all this data um, about how they're communicating so clients understand how word of mouth is working and when and, and what's creating negative word of mouth and what's creating positive and all, all those types of fun things. Your buzz agents file buzz reports. They file buzz reports. And that's, that's how right. they get points, right? Are you still yep. doing that? So here, yeah, so the fascinating thing is the business was intended to be a loyalty program. I, I, I come from sort of a loyalty program uh, market with credit cards. And um, so I said, hey, let's build a loyalty program around word of mouth, right? Instead of spending on your credit card and getting airline miles, what if you could share your opinion about a product or service and then receive sort of brand stuff in return? What if you could get, you know, the company to, to give you stuff? You're, you're, you're helping them, so so. Maybe that's the key. So and the so whole program is structured. 
Yeah. You're giving goodies away for them coming online and writing a report about when they talked about a brand that you educated them about. You got it. So the, okay. the rewards what kind of goodies? for... What kind of goodies can you get? Um, goodies, you know, nothing that'll change your life. I mean, you know, um, for a campaign for a publisher like Penguin Putnam Publishing, you might get other books, you might get CDs, um, you might get a half an hour conversation with the author, um, all sorts of things like that. So all these wonderful things that don't change your life, but, you know, that's cool. Thanks so much for embracing us. Um, you know, and uh, and here's something we we really appreciate you sharing your opinion in an effective way. Now, th- this is what's so fascinating, though. So we have these rewards, and you'd think these people get involved in this campaign. You know, a campaign they they report their activity, they accumulate some points, um, and then they'd redeem those points and get rewards. The fascinating statistic about our model is that over 80% of agents never redeem a single point for any reward. They're just doing it for fun, and they can't even take the time. The breakage is massive for you. The breakage is massive. And what, why, when we ask individuals, and this really comes down to the heart of what makes the system work, we ask individuals in the system, in the, you know, in the network, why, okay, you could get these rewards. Why, so why are you doing this? What's going on? And the answers are invariably very intrinsic. They're... I like to be the first to know about things. I love that product. I'd be more than happy to help the company in any way, and I don't need to be rewarded. Um, it feels good to be in the know. Um, you know, I, I feel like I can have informed conversations. All these sort of, you know, intrinsic things about really why we share our opinions with other people as opposed to, hey, if you give me free stuff, I'll do whatever you want. And that's really what's made this model so strong is that you really have people who are passionate about a product, willing to communicate about it, and the rewards aren't really what's driving them. They're working from their heart, not their head. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. So now, so the process is I, I have a product. Why don't you walk us through one of the ones that you're just, just – what's the one you brag about? What's your best campaign ever? Um, our best campaign ever? Wow. So that's a tough question. <laughs> Hundred, got 125 campaigns. What's the one well, that we you were like, damn, that's working? Yeah, what's, what's um, you know, the one, I guess one that I really liked just because I loved the product was last year for a company called 20Q. Um, you probably actually are seeing commercials about it now. They, they had an interesting model where they, they started their marketing through a word-of-mouth program, and then when the product took off, they started supporting it with traditional advertising, which is actually what we'd very much recommend as an integrated sort of uh, structure for, for a marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. But 20Q was this little handheld game, and it was about 20 questions. It was an actual game. Oh, right. My daughter has one. Right. They're, they're awesome. They're, it's, right? it's cheap, and it keeps them quiet in keeps, the car. <laughs> that's why everyone loves them. That, that's actually the buzz for that campaign. It will keep <laughs> your kids quiet. Uh-huh. Um, but the, you know, this, was, this was a very buzzable product. You, you know, you 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 think of something. You actually think of a you know something, anything, you know, place or thing. You you know, um, and then it asks you twenty questions, and it actually can figure out what you know what it is you're thinking. It's based on this pretty cool algorithm, um, and so that was one of my favorite campaigns because people really, this was a very social product. People would get the product, they'd try it, they'd go, oh, I can't believe it does this. i got to tell somebody else and got to see, let them try this and experience it. And well, so, and we should give the listeners the URL for that and for your company while we're thinking about it because it's not the most intuitive URL. It's cute, but it's hard. So it's 20Q, 20Q.net. Yep. For the product, yeah. and for BuzzAgent, it's bzzagent.net. 
I mean dot com. Uh, dot com. That's Ezzagent.com. Yes. Buzzagent.com. Okay, good. So, so what happened? You people like this? How did it all work? Um, well, we we invited three thousand uh, individuals into the program. This is a a very segmented type of um, structure. So, certain people in our system get into certain campaigns. Not everybody gets all the campaigns. Um, so we invited 3,000 people to take part. They actually received a 20Q game and something we call the Buzz Guide, which helped them understand how to communicate uh, more effectively. Again, no scripts, no no handouts, but more, you know, um, you know, what are the right times to talk about 20Q? When would you think about, um, you know, is this a gift? Is it is it something that you you know you you'd buy for yourself? Do you buy it for other people? Just sort of. All the things that are really interesting, the, the core of that guide is something we call stories. Um, and stories are, you know, we all communicate by telling each other stories, not by reading taglines or marketing messages to each other. So um, what are the stories around 20Q? One being how did this, how does the algorithm work? How did they figure this out? Um, which was 20Q.net actually collected answers from people, and over and over and over it started to understand the right answers versus the wrong answers till it really became extremely, extremely effective at figuring out what you were thinking just by asking 20 questions. Right, because their tagline is, the neural net on the internet. You got it. <laughs> no one's going to say that. You got it. <laughs> but right. everybody's going to play the game, well, right? They're doing one for music tongue. now. Right, and that's, that's the power of it. We don't say that to each other, but you say, oh, yeah, how does it figure it out? Oh, actually, it did this thing online where it, et cetera. So we, we sent them the guide, and then people went out, and they, they shared their 20Q with others, meaning they you know, showed, showed it and you know, um, you know, tried it with other people. And um, based on that, um, you know, we, we started receiving reports about what they were doing, provided that back to the client as a, um, as a knowledge base, and certainly um, you know, were able to create some energy in the marketplace um, where they became runner-up of Toy of the Year and sold out of all sorts of, uh, you know, sold out in all sorts of places. And um, this year, in 2005, they rolled out a whole bunch of other lines um, because it was such a successful product. I love it. Yeah. And um, how, what would you say? I mean, there's got to be one, cust- I, I, I love customer insight. And I think that's a lot of what you collect at BuzzAgent. I mean, it's you know, at first as a marketer, you go to BuzzAgent and say, I want people to start talking about my thing. Right. And, and that's why people probably give you the order, because they know that they can actually quantify through the Buzz reports how many people talked about their stuff to other people. And so mm-hmm. that's really good because it's very specific ROI, and yet the, the, uh, maybe the precipitate, precipitate, that's like a third grade science word that I'm probably not getting right with my cold medicine, but what falls out of that is this insight into the customer about what, they re- what the emotional connection is with a product or service. Do you, do you have any stories about things you've learned that you've informed your clients about on um, products well, from Well, certainly, and, and, and a lot of this has to do with... Um, you know, with programs, a lot of people, you know, the way the world works today is marketing programs are structured where everyone, before the, you know, product launches or as you do a rebranding, you come up with all the great ideas about how you're going to market this, right? You're going to, this is going to be a product that is, you know, people are going to want to buy this way. We're going to do some television ads that say this. We're going to do a, a print campaign that says this. And the, the problem with the old old marketing channels are, 
you know, the, the world moves so fast today, right? The change of opinion and the communication patterns move so fast that by the time your print ad and your television ad and your web ads are out there, um, things may have changed. Uh, you know, people are communicating about something else they learned about the product and, and um, you know, and now your ads are relatively irrelevant or they don't match up. You ran out of distribution at Walmart and you can't, you know, even though the ads say you can get them there, you can't. You know, there's all these, there's all these issues with this sort of let's build the advertising and then um, and run it and hope that everything stays the same for the next, you know, three or four months. Right. So what happens in our system is these reports, this is like a real-world focus group. You know, these reports are coming in. Uh, clients are learning in real time how people are communicating, why they're communicating, what they're saying. And then from that, um, they're able to react. So I'll give you, a, I'll give you one example. We had a beverage company um, work with us, and they, they ran a campaign where their whole model was supply and demand. They were going to make the plot product really hard um, to find. And and not not impossibly hard. I mean, they had to make it. You know, they had to make it so that people could actually drink the the, the product. But they was this a beer? This was a beer. And you're so not going to tell us what the brand was? I can tell you it was for Anheuser Busch, one of our clients. All right. So so Anheuser Busch had a product, and um, they made it a little bit hard to find. And what happened was uh, the whole campaign centered around that sort of can you find this product? It's hard to find. It's it's sort of niche and nouveau and. Um, you know, you're cool if you can find it. Now, what they found from these reports were that it sort of was backfiring. People were actually getting more annoyed they couldn't find it than anything because they'd go tell a friend, I love this beer, and then the friend would say, I went to find the beer, I couldn't find it, so I bought something else. But that's really annoying. And so what they found very quickly was they had to just increase that distribution enough to make it, you know, able to be found when you really wanted to find it, um, but sort of still feel kind of, uh, you know, kind of a special product. Um, and that's a fine balance of strikes. They had to change a lot of their sort of messaging pretty quickly to be like, look, you're not going to have trouble finding it, but, but, um, but it is pretty special. Um, and they learned that in real time, very powerful stuff. Now, what is your favorite beer? My favorite beer? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, since I'm from Boston, there's a, a brewery here called Harpoon. Uh, Harpoon IPA is, is one of my favorites. I love IPAs, too. That's Aren't my, they great? I'm not sure if it's because I'm, I love all the alcoholic content of them or if they just <laughs> taste good to me. <laughs> that, I think they're really hoppy, it. right? Isn't it that supposed to be that they're super hoppy IPAs? I think so. I think so. I, 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 I sort of agree with you. Whatever it is that... that that, that has higher alcohol content, I suppose, tastes good to me. I, I'm going to try a harpoon, and I recommend one out here from California. It's from California Brewing Company. It might even be called, like, the Golden Bear Brewing Company, but it's called mm. Racer 5. Interesting. R-A-C-E-R, the number 5. And it's an IPA as well. Really? Fantastic. Two IPA lovers. IPA lovers. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew this about the two of us? This is pretty interesting, though, that, that you know, we'd have this discussion about beers like this, and this is, you know, you know, oh my God! Did I, did I just feed into your whole initial premise? Pretty much, which is yeah. you know, it's this. It is sort of a natural progression of how we talk to each other, and so, you know, this we go through grape in Grapevine. We talk a lot about why we do this, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's a clear case here for me and you, and, it, and you just totally proved it, which is sometimes we share our opinions to sort of find common ground, right? Now I I know you, and yep. we're friends, and and yep. and all that, but. You know, we're constantly sort of, you know, hey, what do you now like? Now I like do it even like better. Too? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so a way to do that is to talk about it like that, too. 
Now, I'm going to buy Grapevine because you're my buddy, and I want to support you in every way possible. And uh, I also want to read your book because I want to know more about how talented you are because you constantly amaze me. Oh, boy. But why should everyone else buy this book? Um, well, I guess the biggest reason is that a lot of what's out there about word of mouth is sort of armchair theory in a, in a lot of ways. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, what got me into this business was the tipping point and, you know, Seth Godin's Unleashing the Idea Virus and, you know, books like The Fusion of Innovations and, you know, everything about, you know, what got me into this is really, you know, all these wonderful books about why people are communicating and, um, and how it works. Now, the problem is that before that, before, you know, before we've put out this book, nobody had really built any type of word-of-mouth system for organizing this and testing it. Yeah. And so we've got now over three years about 300,000 word-of-mouth reports and have some pretty interesting truths that have come out about how word-of-mouth really works. Now, are, you still a, doing, a, are you still counting the Gs, the generations? We are still counting the generations and have so collected a lot how data about how that works. Yeah. Um, which is generations are, you know, buzz agent is generation zero. The first person they talk to is generation one. And the person that person talks to becomes generation two and so on and so forth. We've now collected clear statistical data about how generational passing of word of mouth occurs. How much does word of mouth spread when somebody creates a conversation? And is that in the book? That's in the book. There's a part in the book that talks a little bit about measurement, but there, there are bigger issues here, right? One is something we call the myth of the influentials, which is, you know, we've really? all... Really? It's terms. a myth? I thought it was true. Well, you know, I did too, and I, you know, I love the book, The Influentials, but, you know, trendsetters, trend spreaders, influentials, connectors, mavens, hubs, alphas, bees, all these, you know, sort of wonderful terms for these special people who are creating word of mouth, but the reality is, and we found this over and over and first proved it through a uh, Harvard Business School case study was that we all create word of mouth that has influence. Right? There, are, there are influentials out there. I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't. But everyday people are having impacts that sometimes is even stronger than what an influential might. Because if you think about it, most of us every day talk to, you know, we go into work and, you know, we've got coworkers and we talk to them or maybe a family member who wants to know about a restaurant or, or a great IPA. And all that together is really what's influencing us much more than, you know, what's the coolest person or what's a celebrity doing or all these things. And so, so this is one of, the, one of the major changes that we've seen or, you know, the major learnings that, that we talk a lot about in Grapevine, which is, you know, some of the theories that are out there aren't really how this works when you put it into practice. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, we also talk a little bit about the weird value of negativity. Um, you know, negative word of mouth is, is seen as this terrible, terrible thing. And while you certainly don't want people out there, you know, continuously saying your product's terrible, don't buy it, um, there is some positive things that come out of negative word of mouth. Um, is that kind of like there's no no press that's bad press? A little bit, but it's a little different. I mean, there there it is, you know, in some ways no press is, or no bad press is bad press, or I don't know exactly yeah, what. Whatever, we all know that, yeah. <laughs> right. Whatever it we is. We all know what we mean. <laughs> um, but the the truth is, you know, it goes back to sort of one of the first things you were talking about, which is, you know, you're collecting all this data, um, you know, it's, it's really valuable to companies to know this in real time. So negative word of mouth is one of those things that's it's, it's telling you where you need to change something in your product really quickly, right? Is there a, is there a manufacturing 
deficiency, right? Is there a problem with manufacturing? Is there, you know, a pricing issue that you need to solve? Is there a distribution problem? All these, all these things that happen, you know, as you're rolling out a product, um, you need to learn about that. Negative word of mouth is really the core to that. Um, we also see something we call quiet advocates, which is when negative word of mouth gets really bad about a product, you actually see in many cases a group of people who never really would say anything or, or speak out positively, but they come, in this case, they come out and defend the product. And these people are really powerful. These quiet advocates can be really, really powerful in the long run. Can you give us um, an example of that? Um, sure. There was a campaign we ran in 2004, I believe, um, for a, a product called Home Cafe. And Home Cafe was this uh, wonderful product that was put out um, it was a partnership between Black and Decker and P&G, and we talk a lot about this in the book. And, um, you know, we had 3,000 agents who joined a campaign. They got a home cafe machine, and then 60 of these actually um, lit on fire. <laughs> Ooh, blowing up is yeah, a problem. Yeah, a little problem. They plugged them in. Now, now you know, this was, this was not just the Buzz agents. There was a whole group of people out there who had this happen. This was a brand-new product, and, you know, P&G put it to market, and there was, you know, there was a couple issues. There was a, I, I believe in the end, it was one pallet of this product that had some problems. Now, very quickly, you know, people are, you know, screaming all over the blogosphere and, you know, writing reviews that are bad, and they're at point of sale saying, don't buy this product and all these really negative things. Now, the, the first thing is, you know, P&G very quickly learned what the problem was. You know, they'd done all this focus group testing. They'd done all these pre-manufacturing tests. And then, you know, they put the product out and there's a problem, right? And so that negative word of mouth led them to understanding exactly where the problem was. We talked to agents, what happened, how did it happen, um, you know, what's the serial number on it. And they basically figured out where the issue was. And then the second was really this group of quiet advocates, which which came out eventually and said, hey, you know, look, these guys responded. They sent new products to all the people who had issues. You know, they're trying to fix it. This isn't, they're not looking to make a bad product. This is, you know, this is something they're working on. And these, these quiet advocates really came out when it got to a point where it was, it was starting to get sort of overwhelming mm-hmm. um, and really protected the brand. Um, wow. And Home Cafe is now one of the best-selling products on the market in this, in this single-serving coffee category. That's Pretty powerful. A, that's a good story. Yeah, you like that. Yeah, well, I do. And I, I, I like all those new fangled coffee machines. Have you bought anything like that lately? <laughs> um, I haven't, but uh, we do have some in the office, and, and uh, a lot of people here love them. Do they? Yeah. Like they, the Sencio and all those. Right. They're yeah, appealing. They're, yeah. Sencio, I think, is a competitor of Home Cafe, so I will say yeah. the Home Cafe is a better product. <laughs> <laughs> that had no teeth at all. No, not at all. I, I tried. <laughs> Let me try that again. The home cafe is great. Uh, no, that didn't work. I'm not convinced. Uh. I'm not convinced at all. <laughs> but if you like things to blow up, it's more. It's a more exciting product. Right. And now they don't blow up anymore. These guys they don't blow up. Oh, and, darn. You know. Well, all right. Yeah. Now, t- tell me a couple of other things about yourself, Dave. I, I liked our whole like little bonding moment there with the IPA. Yes. And um, I want to know... Are you doing anything but working? Do you have a family life? Are you married? Are there children? What's going on with you? You single? Uh, oh boy, are you a catch if you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, thanks. I uh, let's see. I have a, uh, I do have a wife, Beth, and uh, okay. we have a six month old. All the daughter. women are sobbing, but all right. So you have I, Beth as your wife. The ladies out there, yes, they're very upset. Um, <laughs> uh, they'd be more upset if they saw me and. But, but that's a whole different... That is not true. You're a handsome man. Oh, geez. All right. Not going to so, get away with that. 
So, so uh, we have a six-month-old daughter, Stella. Um, so, so that's keeping me busy. Congratulations! Um, yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. I have a little girl myself, and I highly recommend them. What's now? What's her name again? Her name is Taylor. We call oh, yeah. her Tay Tay. I like that name. Yeah. It's she's one of those older pat than six names, months, you know. Yes, she's she's older than six months, though. Yeah, well, she's eight years old. Oh, very yeah. cute. And we uh, now Stella is a beautiful feminine name. My daughter's name Taylor could be a boy or a girl, and and I always joke that it's a golden retriever name. You know, you're in the park and you're yelling Taylor, Hunter, Connor, and you don't know if you're going to get kids or a dog. Do you tell her that? Sure, of course, I tease yeah. her mercilessly. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, yeah. So uh, so yeah, I have a daughter and uh, I don't know three black cats, but but for the most part, um, right now work is pretty much uh, you know all consuming. We've been. Uh, Keeping this company moving forward has been been a full time job to say the least. I can imagine now how how many I remember the first time I visited you visited mm-hmm. you you were in this big old brick building and you had some crazy address and I had to go up some windy stairs <laughs> that looked like a bomb shelter. We're trying to forget those days. Are you still in that building? No, we've moved. We now have about fifty employees and uh, 50 no, we're in a we're in a definitely a spot that that. That is less of a hike to climb up to. Good. Uh, yeah. I think I called you from the stairwell. Dave, where yeah. are you? I can't find you. I we had, find we certainly had a, more than a few clients who actually came to the building and said, uh, this cannot be where these folks work. Come out uh, and get me, right? And they wouldn't want to walk up the stairs, and they, they actually felt unsafe in the alley leading to the building. And Well, wasn't your address, like, didn't your address have something like blah, 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 street, rear? Yeah, we were in the rear, so... Yeah, see, that's bad. I don't was, think you should have any company that has an address where part of the address is rear. Right. Yeah, that right. doesn't bode well, but you've been successful nonetheless, apparently. Yeah, we have, we, you know, it's funny because we were, we were relatively unsuccessful until we moved, and so it was definitely the address change. That must it have was. been it. That must there have was, been it. It was feng shui issues or something, right? That was it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they, uh, they actually kicked us out. They were tearing the building down, so we had to, they moved us out before that happened. Oh, they were tearing the building down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was that lovely of a building. <laughs> but God bless you. You've been so successful with all of these companies. Now, if there if there's like a beautiful sweet spot mm-hmm. where there's a certain category of company where you know you can just womp on that buzz, what is it? Who should um, be, who should well, be your next five phone calls? Right. There's a few um, that we've sort of found very successful traction in the first uh, publishing strangely has been um, sort of a it was our first client which is why I say strangely but uh, it's been um, wonderful for us we've worked on over 40 books for you know authors like Seth Godin and Tom Peters and Guy Kawasaki and um, you know books like uh, Freakonomics and Eat Shoots and Leaves and great books um, all wonderful books and and so we've really found a niche there Uh, beverages certainly has been a, a great spot for us um, you know, for companies like Anheuser, which we mentioned, but Cadbury Schweppes and um, and a number of other brands, and then um, the last, which I love, is Health and Beauty. Um, where right, we are, to... you have something in your bio, something. Oh, gosh, <laughs> it's, you are, um, and you were the Advertising Specialty Institute named you the top seven individuals changing the face of beauty. It, by it, women's was, ac- wear it was actually daily. Women's Wear Daily. They're, they're two different sides. That Women's Wear Daily named me the 
uh, top seven individuals changing the face of beauty, which, which. That's impressive. We, well, we put it in the bio because, you know, I can't match my shoes and my shirt, and most people are, <laughs> are here or laugh that they'd actually think that I'm, that I have anything to do with, uh, with beauty or, or, or dressing of any sort, so. Well, uh, I think you are beautiful, and what you've done is fantastic. <laughs> we're, we're out of time. You've told us some great stories. Um, if anybody wants to get Grapevine, the new art of word-of-mouth marketing, they've got to go to Amazon and buy that thing. And that's where I'm going right after the show. Thank oh. you for coming on, Dave. And I know we'll see you out at San Francisco Ad Tech, I hope, right? Oh, yeah. I'll be out there. Can't awesome. wait to see people out there again. Good. Fantastic. We'll have a great holiday, and we'll see you soon. All right, Susan. Thanks. Thanks. 